you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even then, the night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Search me, God, and know my heart, and lead me in the way everlasting. Praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Good morning, GCC. And uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't we? And it's a blessing to know that we were created by. The living God, the only one there is. And he's intimately acquainted with all our ways, and he knows us full well. We're laid bare before him. There's nothing hidden from his sight. That's pretty an incredible thought, isn't it? Uh, we like to hide things, and that just happens, especially when we're kids. And we get older, we become adults, and we're still trying to hide. And uh, we take after Adam and Eve. They kind of went and hid too, right? But the Lord knows us full well, and, um, and that's great to know, because uh, He cares like no one else does. And um, I was thinking about that uh, with the Hansons going through what they are going through, that the Lord cares uh, about everything that goes on in our lives. We're thankful for Jackie Hanson and her life in the Lord. And we can rejoice, guys, that she is in the presence of of her Lord and Savior. And you know, when we just uh, went through that video, uh, the days that the Lord has for us, um, He knows them. He knows it down to the second when you're going to be in His presence. And I trust that's true, that you'll be in His presence. If you know Him as your Savior, you will be. But we don't know when that's going to be. And I tell you, with the things going on in our world today, wouldn't it be great if He just came and got us today? That'd be all right with you guys? You can say it a little louder. That be all right with you guys? Amen. All right. Well, this morning we want to acknowledge um, some accomplishments from our college graduates and postgraduates. And uh, we did this first service. And, of course, they weren't here first service. but we, They were probably might have been still sleeping. But we were acknowledging them uh, during uh, first service. And we want to do that second service and, and actually have them come and stand on the stage and and uh, to be recognized, and so as I call your name, if you'll do that, 
Uh, our first one is Emily Roberts. Emily's graduated with a degree, associate's degree in nursing from Wallace State Community College. <laughs> Emily, I said for service that that probably came with a lot of tears, right? Because <laughs> she says, oh yeah. All right, so congratulations to you. And our second uh, person is Christy Russell. Christy Russell. She's graduated from Grace School of Theology with a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies. And we appreciate all that Christy does around here at Grace and, and all she's doing at Grace School of Theology. And uh, I know that uh, Robbie and Grace School of Theology appreciates all that she does. And so uh, we're proud of you, Christy. Thank you for all your hard work. You and Emily have that in common, a lot of hard work. I don't know about this next guy. His name is Andrew Blunt. I'm not sure how much hard work he's done, but I assume he did some because he's graduated. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> that means he's out for good. All right, so uh, Andrew graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in History from Trevecca Nazarene University. He plans on go going back in the, in the fall, and he's got one more year of eligibility with baseball. And uh, he had to have Tommy John surgery this last year, and so he gets to go and, and have another year of eligibility and work on a Master of Arts in teaching. And so uh, you pray for him as he continues down that road. We're certainly proud of him, proud that he's one step closer to independence. Praise the Lord, all right? <laughs> oh, man, all right. And then the last one we have uh, this morning is Robbie Roberts. Robbie? Come on up here. Robbie has graduated with a master's certificate in chaplaincy. From Grace School of Theology. And Robbie, I have to tell you what I told him first service. Were you listening first service? No, I was not. You were not. <clears throat> he was sleeping probably. But I've said first service, you know, this is kind of ironic. Um, a master's certificate in chaplaincy. And um, I told him, I said, I said, I'm not sure how many times I've taken Robbie to the hospital, probably a few, but he's going to have to cut down on those 30-minute conversations and hour conversations. And so, but it is a ministry. It's a ministry to be able to go into the hospitals and nursing homes and be able to sit with folks who are hurting. And so we certainly appreciate Robbie and all his uh, labor here at Grace and also at Grace School of Theology. So let's give all these guys one more round of applause. All right, you guys can be seated. And this morning, uh, we're going to pray for them in just a moment, but I want to read the scriptures together. And so I want you to take your Bibles and go to Philippians as we've been reading through the book of Philippians together. Uh, go to chapter 3. And if you'll stand as we honor uh, the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. We'll finish the chapter today. Paul writes, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. That word means mature. But I press on so that I may lay hold, <clears throat> excuse me, of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, man, we need to underscore this. 
in our Bibles, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. That's a good principle for the Christian life. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you realize this morning, if you're a born-again believer, you've been called out by God. You've been separated for Him. He has things for you to do for His honor and His glory. You're in the race. In verse 15, Paul says, Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect or mature, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Why? Because, verse 18, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping. And Paul is just, you talk about a man committed to the Lord and to the ministry. Here he is. Um, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are enemies of the cross of Christ in our culture. You don't have to look very far. They're all around us, guys. That's why it's so imperative that we hold on tight to what the Lord has for us. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their appetite. And whose glory is in their shame. Who set their minds on earthly things. And my goodness gracious, look what's going on in our world today. That is what's going on. There's a different standard for the believer. You remember Paul writes in Colossians, set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on this earth. For you have died, he says. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. You know that passage? Listen, we're different. We're new creations in Christ. And then he says, verse 20, for our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior are you eagerly waiting for him it's a pretty good question and honesty piece is important in that um he says we also eagerly wait for a savior the lord jesus christ look what's going to happen who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself and may the lord Bless the reading of his word. And guys, I hope this is not just a book to you. I hope to you, you know, this is God's word. It's his love letter for us. It's about who he is. It's about what he's done for us. It's about what he's doing for us. And it's about him coming back for us. And I hope all of you this morning know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you do, that you're living for him. So a lot to think about in that section. Let me just tell you, that section will preach. It'd take me five years to go through that section. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer, and let's give glory to the Lord. Father, this morning, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have together in this place this morning. I'm thankful for the ones that are, that are here in this room, and we have other rooms. We have a fellowship hall and the youth room. I'm thankful for everyone that's here today that could participate together. You tell us, Lord, in your word that it's healthy to assemble together. You tell us not to forsake that. And 
And Lord, we're just so thankful we're able to be together and uh, be able to fellowship together around you and your word and, and through song. And as we sing this morning, I pray that, that all that we sing will bring honor to you. And I pray that our hearts are prepared and ready to hear what you have to say to us from your word this morning. Lord, we want to remember the Hanson family. We commit them to you, Lord, and, and we just want to praise you to know that Jackie's in your presence right now because your word tells us to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. And I pray every person in here knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that when they die, they'll be in your presence. Lord, we commit ourselves to you, and we pray that you'll receive all the glory this morning in Christ's name. Many of you will recognize that song, Be Still and Know That I Am God. And that was written by um, a man who's been around for decades. It's kind of hard to believe that because I remember him as a, as a young um, writer and, uh, and artist 
Christian artist, has been with us for many years now, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And he is certainly a person who has been acquainted with grief and has had um, tragedy in his life. But he has not allowed circumstances to dictate who he's going to be in the Lord and what's going to happen. And he's, uh, even through the tragedy, he has stood firm with the Lord. Just wanted to read a little something right here. First off, he says here, he he prays to God. He says, God, I want to know you, and I want to make you known. We're kind of familiar with that statement here because that's what, uh, that's, that's what, uh, what we claim here as well. But he says, um, God has continued faithfully to reveal himself through dark places and reveal his mysteriousness. I get the sense that he's telling an amazing story. He's not confused. He's not biting his nails, worrying if the plan is going to turn out okay. That's the way I do. He's fully confident of his plans, and he's in control. That's been something that I've held on to. And folks, we can hold on to that too, that God is in control, that he's working in every one of our lives today. I don't care how old we are or how young we are, he's working. There's a verse in Philippians 1, verse 6, and I would like to key in on the very first where he says, for I am confident of this very thing. He didn't just make a statement here. He's saying, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's working in each and every one of our lives today. And he says, I am confident. And we know that he is able to accomplish what he started in our lives. And we have to claim that. No matter what the circumstances are in the world around us or what, you know, he's going to complete that good work in us. I'd like for us to begin our time together by singing a song we haven't sung in a while, but it's called He is Able, More Than Able to Accomplish What Concerns Me Today. Let's sing together. Sing with us now. He is able more. 
Let's all stand and let's sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. This is my story. 
is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, praising my Savior all the day long. Praise our Savior all the day long. Because we're going to hold fast to who he is. And no matter what happens, hopefully we can be like the man who wrote this song. It is well with my soul. Even though we are faced with whatever out there, I don't care what it is. It can't be any worse than what H.G. Spafford was faced with. And many of you know the, the story of that. But it brings the peace in our life that we need through these times. So let's uh, sing together. It is well with soul. Oh. 
got to sing that hymn twice today. Once when you were sleeping and just now and you know that part of the verse talks about uh, the clouds being rolled back as a scroll um, and then it says the Lord shall descend. I hope you're able to sing. I'd love to, to be my Lord will descend because it's my Lord will. I don't know if he belongs to you, but I know my Lord's going to descend and and come for me. And um, the sad part is, I think there are going to be quite a few that remain that may have heard what's going on, but never turned and trusted Christ as their Savior. So I hope today, if you're uncertain about that, that today can be the day of salvation for you. All right, well, I'm going to ask you to do something today because sometimes you come to a text and it requires you to kind of be in the, the sandals of the individual that's receiving the letter. So I need you to put on some sandals today. I should have told you in a letter this week, wear your sandals. But it's important, I think, in order to grasp what's being said by Paul to Timothy uh, I think it's important for us to kind of put ourselves in his sandals, um, to kind of understand the historical context with which uh, Paul writes this letter, um, to, to get the full understanding of what's going on and really how imperative it was for, for Timothy to take the hard things that Paul wrote and say, I need to do that, I need to do that. One of the temptations when you come to the pastoral epistles, which, you know, the pastoral epistles are made up of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. But it, it, it can happen where people can approach this and go, okay, that's just for pastors. You know, they need to get a grasp of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Guys, it's for all of us. If you belong to the Lord, it's for all of us. It's for all of us to take 
uh, these words and to wrestle with them and to say, hey, Lord, where is it that, that I need the instruction? Uh, where is it that I need to, to do things, to grab onto those things and, and to, to um, take hold of them and, and, and to protect the things that you say? And I just believe it's very imperative that in order for you and I to appreciate what Paul's doing here is that we're willing today to kind of be in, in, in the sandals of Timothy. So you ready? You got your sandals on? Because this is a very, very important text, and it's important that you and I both not only uh, grasp what's being said here, but act on it, do something about it. And so, if you remember, and I know you do because you have great memories, okay? I'm looking at you, I can see what's going on. You have wonderful memories, and you know that when we come to chapter 1 of Second Timothy... Paul is writing from Mamertine prison, all right? He is in his last days. We know that because in the book of 2 Timothy, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. We know he's in a dungeon. We know he's cold because later in the letter, he says, bring my cloak, which I left at Troas. I mean, the dude's not staying at the Holiday Inn, right? He is in a dungeon, and he's not folding his arms together and going, well, I'm done with the race. He's still in the race. He's still in it. Until his dying breath, he's in it. And as we know, guys, since our days are ordained right by the Lord, we need to be committed to be in the race till he comes for us. And so this morning, I think we have to have in our minds that Paul's riding from a dungeon. He hadn't quit the race. And he has in mind, you remember the theme of the chapter, Verse 8. Verse 8 is the theme of the chapter. Remember what he says in verse 8? Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of who? Me, his prisoner. And that's kind of the theme from verse 6 through verse 18 is this theme of, hey, don't be ashamed of the Lord or of me. That can happen. Agreed? It can happen. In fact, Paul later on in the section commends one Onesiphorus for not being ashamed. But as you're going to see, there's others who had kind of deserted Paul. And um, guys, there's a... It's coming. I mean, I think it's here where the, the test of our faith is right before us. That we not desert. That we not walk away. But that we stay the course no matter what we face in our world. That we say, it is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That we're not willing to veer off one bit from that message. And there's going to be a temptation to do that. In fact, there is. And some people are already given into the temptation of not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to stay the course. And that's what Paul wants Timothy to do. Hey, you need to stay the course. Now remember, as we talked about... There we go. It concerned me. All I saw was a bunch of clouds. Um... Kind of an overview of where we've been, and then we'll talk about this morning uh, what we need to consider. Paul's instruction, we said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or me as prisoner. And then we talked about Paul's argument, all right? His argument for not being ashamed. In other words, he's, he's giving him um, kind of like a prescription, all right? This is a prescription. You need to take it. Kind of like, you know, when a doctor gives you a prescription, you need to take it all. You don't need to stop. I've, how many of you have agreed you've stopped before? I've stopped. I've stopped right in the middle and just said, I ain't taking that anymore. Remember one time I broke my arm and I was supposed to 
well, it was actually not a break in my arm, but it was a, a rip in my tendon, and, and I was like, eh, it's better by now, and I just ripped it off. It's time to play basketball. I was done with that. So there are times when we don't follow the instructions that we need to follow, and so Paul's really wanting him to take the full prescription and, um, in order not to be ashamed. So he tells him, number one, hey, keep using your gift. You remember we talked about that, verses 6 and 7. Keep using the gift. Remember, the emphasis was not on his specific gift. He didn't say, hey, Timothy had the gift of leadership or pastor teacher. Or all. He probably had all that, but he doesn't focus on that. What does he focus on? Use the gift. So I'm asking you right now, this morning, are you using the gift that God's given you? You say, why is that important? It's important for everybody in here, and it's important for me. Right, that you minister to me and I minister to you, that God would, would, would use us in a way that would lift up and build up the body of Christ. And, and know this, when we are using our gifts, where is the focus? On the Lord and his people. It's not on ourselves. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Hey, use the gift. Use the gift that God has given you. Stir it up. Then we saw together that he said, hey, in order not to be ashamed, join the team of suffering. That was a hard one. Right? I mean, he's saying, join the team of what? Suffering. How does that sound? How does suffering sound to you? Sound all right? No. I mean, you're making frowny faces at me. It doesn't sound good. All right? Paul was suffering. In the context of 2 Timothy, he was suffering for the gospel. If you go through and you read 2 Corinthians 11, you'll see, or 10, excuse me, you'll see how much suffering that Paul had in his life. I mean, he laid it all out there for the Lord. And so Paul says to Timothy, hey, join the team of suffering, knowing the Lord is in control. Remember what he said? He said, I'm whose prisoner? Prisoner of Rome or prisoner of the Lord? What do you say? I'm his prisoner. I'm the Lord's prisoner. So join the team, knowing the Lord's in control. The Lord wasn't shocked that Paul was a prisoner, right? His prisoner. He says, join the team knowing the Lord's in control. Secondly, knowing our salvation is amazing and secure. Do you remember the dissertation in those three verses of the amazing salvation that we have? That was my favorite one to teach so far. I mean, I just love that section of Scripture. Because we have an amazing salvation and we have a secure salvation. Do you know there is no one that can rip that from you? No one that can take it from you. You can't lose it. Isn't that great? And it's not because I'm telling you that. It's because when you come to Christ, listen to me. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, you've been sealed by the Spirit of God. Isn't that a good deal? And that seal there is a picture of permanence. No one can wipe that away. You're sealed by the Spirit of the living God. So, he says, our salvation is amazing and secure. So join the team, and then he says, join the team knowing I'm on the team. I mean, if you're going to ask somebody to join the team, probably a good idea if you're on the team, especially in this context, and Paul's on the team. He's on the team of suffering, and he's writing from a deep, dark dungeon, and he's cold, and he's facing a ruthless leader in Nero who would have his head chopped off, and Christians suffered left and right for the gospel of Christ back in those days. And so he says, look, use your gift, join the team of suffering, knowing the Lord's in control, knowing our salvation is amazing and secure, knowing I'm on the team. Paul's final argument for Timothy in this section 
is fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. And guys, this is a huge one. That's why I'm telling you to wear the sandals. Because they're your sandals individually. In other words, fulfill your ministry. And your ministry. And your ministry. If you're a believer in Christ, God's given you a ministry. You say, I thought that was just for the professionals. Oh, no, no, no. I got great news for you. It's not just for pastors and teachers. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a ministry. How many of you agree with that? Raise your hand. You have a ministry. God's given you a ministry. Are you willing to fulfill that ministry? To stay the course, to go to the end, no matter what's in front of you. Now, staying on course and the ministry stuff, that sounds good. But no matter what's in front of you, Ugh. We're going to see some examples of some people that didn't do too well, but of one guy that did well. What does that involve on the part of Timothy? What did he say, first of all? He says, hold on tight. That's what it, it involves. You know, the word fulfill in the Greek language means to complete. So he's telling him in this section, complete your ministry. And then he tells him, this is what that involves. And I need to tell you this. It involves action. You know, the Christian life's not pulling back the recliner and loafing around. That's not it. I mean, if you've been on that plan, get over it. Okay? Get off that plan. Not a good plan. As a believer, we've been called to action. Do you agree with that? Right? Even if you don't, it's right. It action. We're not called to lay back and sit back and go, well, I'm waiting on the Lord. Yeah, well, while you're waiting on the Lord, we got things to do. How do you know? Because the Word of God tells us. And so the first thing he tells Timothy, he says, hold on tight. Let's read the section, verses 13 through 18, and we'll come back and talk about it. Notice what he says in verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. In the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Well, that's a lot of confidence there that Paul had the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And he had that confidence because he knew his doctrine. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Underscore that little pronoun there, me. Among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Isn't that a cool name? For he often... So if you need a name next time you have a kid, we want to consider... For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and he found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. What day? We're going to talk about that as we get to it because there's a big emphasis on it later on in this, in this letter. That day that you and I are going to stand before the Lord and give an account for our life. Are you listening to me? We're going to stand before the Lord and give account for our life. And as Paul writes in Corinthians, some of what we've done is going to burn up, burn up, and some's going to remain. We need to consider, are we doing it for the Lord or are we doing it for man? So he says, the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. All right, so what does he say to Timothy? Here's some action stuff. First of all, he says, hold on tight. Hold on tight. Now, notice in verse 13, in our translation, it has retained the standard 
Now, the, the, the phrase, the standard, actually in the original language, and this might not mean much to you, but it's very important, okay? The standard appears first in the sentence in the Greek. That's very important. Shake your head like that. It's very important. You know why it's very important? Because it's an emphatic, meaning there's emphasis there. In other words, he's wanting Timothy's focus on the standard. Right? What's the standard? It's a good question. We're going to talk about it in just a second. So in the Greek language, that, word, that phrase appears first. So I thought, well, if it appears first, let's deal with it first. So the word standard literally referred to the blueprints or drawings a builder would use. You're familiar with blueprints or drawings, aren't you? Right? You guys have seen those? And uh, a builder has those. And what does a builder do with those blueprints? He goes by the blueprints, right? Those blueprints are what for him? A guide for him, okay? So that when he's building, he knows exactly what's going on, okay? And have you guys ever seen the inside of the blueprints? You ever seen that, right? They're usually rolled up, which I think is really cool. But when you unroll that, I've always just been an ice crack. I love some stuff that might be crazy. But I love seeing blueprints rolled up. And when they're unrolled on a desk, is that not just the coolest thing? And I'm looking there and I'm going, I don't understand a thing. I have no idea. But you know who does? The builder. Builder does. Builder knows how to read that stuff. And what does the builder do? He goes by the blueprints. What's Paul telling Timothy? Hey, hold on to the what? The blueprints. Now notice what he says in defining that. Hold on to the blueprints of sound words which you have, what, heard from me. The blueprints for Timothy were the Old Testament and what Paul had written, had given to the church at Ephesus and other churches. You know, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Paul wrote all those letters, and he wrote them for the believers. And so Timothy was a part of that, and he was to hold on to what? The standard. Hold on to the standard that you've been given. So that's the first thought that we need to have in our minds. The standard is the word of God. The standard is the word of God. All right? Well, what does he say to do with the standard? Uh Uh-oh. He says, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The word retain means to hold on tight to something. Okay, it's the idea of not letting go, all right? So, like, have you ever been somewhere, uh, parents, where you as a father are looked at by your wonderful wife, and she says, grab on to those kids and hold on tight? Has that ever happened to you, right? You're in a public place, and it's very busy, and your wife gives you this look. And that look means hold on tight, right, to those kids. We were in a subway one time in New York City, and my boys were not, like, real small. They were actually a little bit bigger. And there's about three, three years difference between the boys. And we're in the subway in New York City. Any of you ever been to New York City in the subway? Uh, it is a busy, busy place. And she's looking at me like, that glare? Hold on tight to my boys. She might as well have just said it out loud because the people that were looking at her are going, man, what's that lady doing? She's glaring at me. Like, hold on tight to my boys. Don't let them go. You know, if that illustration doesn't relate to you, 
Let me give you another one. I play golf. I like to play golf. And um, when you're holding on to a golf club, obviously you have two hands, and you put that golf club, if you're a right-handed player, you put that golf club right here, and you squeeze that baby with three, that grip with three fingers, and then you place your right hand over that, and it just sits on there. If you're a left-handed golfer, obviously it's opposite. But I'm a right-handed golfer. But when I'm taking that club there, that grip's tight enough where I should be able to do something. You know what that is? Make a swing with just that hand. I wish I'd have brought my golf club in here. I didn't bring it in here to first service, and I forgot to go get it. But take that club, and you grip it tight, you ought to be able to swing it with one hand. Okay? Paul is telling Timothy, hold on tight. Get a good grip. Get a good grip on the blueprints of what? Well, he tells him. Blueprints of sound words. Notice one more comment here. Notice that it's an imperative. He's not asking him, like, if you want to. He's telling him to do it. Okay? So he says, the standard, hold on tight. And then he says, of sound words. <laughs> so we read it. In our translation, retain the standard of sound words. Um, sound words is an interesting phrase. Do you know we get our word hygiene from that word? Isn't that cool? Like when you're studying the languages, it's really fun because it kind of, you know, it makes, you, it, makes it like uh, something you can grip onto and go, hey, I, I know what this means. The picture here that Paul is painting for Timothy is hold on tight to the standard of sound words. Sound words. Um, we get our word hygiene from this Greek word, which obviously promotes cleanliness and good health. So the picture here is that Timothy was to hold on to sound truth, to solid biblical truth. Is that the same for us? Answer, yes. We are to hold on tight to sound words. You say, why is that so important? How many of you would agree that there's false teaching that goes on in our world today? Right? And it's being bannered about from pulpits all over the place. It's almost like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I've been to churches where pastors stand behind lecterns and they don't even open the book. How do you do that? And then when they open the book, they read the verses and then they talk about something that has nothing to do with the book. You know, I've been charged to do one thing, and that's preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what I'm going to do. Right? That's what I'm going to do till the Lord, as long as the Lord gives me breath. I've not been charged to placate the audience so, so they are happy with what I say. Listen, this is hard stuff. Right? I'm, I'm telling you today, put your sandals on. You know, you've got to be willing to, to be active and to sweat in the Christian life going... Man, the Lord wants me to really be interested in sound words. Why? Let me give you a couple of things to think about. Turn to chapter 4. Look in verses 1 through 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We need to hold on to sound words. Good words, which obviously come from where? Right in front of you. This book, okay? We need to hold on to these good, healthy words that produce good spiritual health. 
Why? Look in chapter 4, verse 1. Give you a little hint. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's what he tells him to do. I mean, these are some of his last words. He's not placating to Timothy. He's saying, look, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, all the time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Then he tells him how to do that with great patience and instruction. Why? Now look at this, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come, and it is here. It's here right now in 2020. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, sound words. But wanting to have their ears tickled. The picture there is of speaking about things that are easy to hear. Hey, look, I'm all about the love of God. How about you? Any of you about the love of God? I hope so. But I'm all about the justice of God, too. You in on that one? A lot of people don't want to talk about that. I'm in on heaven. How about you? Heaven sounds good. Hell? You in on that? What does the Bible say? Is there a heaven? Yeah. Is there a hell? Yeah. What's talked about more? Class? Hell. So if it's talked about more, we have to what? Consider it. He says, they will accumulate. That takes effort, by the way. For themselves, teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, what they want to hear. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Imagine that. Getting, listen, there are men that fill arenas. Are you listening to me? They aren't telling the people the whole truth. They'll refer to it, but they're not telling them the truth. Like, for example, is the truth that all have sinned? Is that the truth? Class, you can talk out loud. Okay. True. Because Thad said so? No. What does the Bible say? All have sinned. That includes me and you. So why in the world is Paul writing, telling Timothy to hold on tight to sound words? Because there's people out there who are not doing that. Like, for example... If we're going to hold on tight to sound words, there's one view of biblical marriage. Do you agree with that? One. Man and woman. Period. By the way, there, there aren't other marriages. As Christians, we, need to, we don't need to have this vocabulary. Well, these two over here are married... If it's not a man and a woman. If it's two female or two male. They're not married. They're not. By law they might be recognized. Oh, they're, they're not married. Marriage according to the Bible is what? A man shall leave. I'll say that again. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to who? His wife. Woman. And the two shall become what? One flesh. That's God's mind. 
You know what the world's mind is? Do what you want. And you know what's happening in the churches today? They're going, yeah, that's all right. I guess that's all right. That's their right to do that. Really? You know, and nowadays when pastors stand for that, they're ridiculed and, oh, man, you need to have more of an open mind. Have an open mind to the things of God and what God says and not anything else. And young people, listen to me. I know you're living in it. I know. I watch the news. I don't like to watch it a whole lot, but I watch it. I know what you're facing. You know, when I was growing up in that discussion, you didn't talk about homosexuality too much. You know, you just didn't talk about it. It was in the closet, so to speak. Well, now it's just out in front of us. And there are pastors and teachers that have accepted it. And they're saying, it's fine. You live like you want to live. Is that the right thing to do? Is that the right message? You give me the answer. Is that the right message? You need to be convinced of that. Let me give you another example about promoting biblical marriage. Biblical marriage involves this verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Biblical marriage is difficult. Any of you agree with that? So Paul's saying, look, Timothy, hold on to sound words. We don't need to apologize to the public for holding on to sound words. That doesn't mean I don't love people. I love people. I love a lot of people that aren't holding on to these sound words and are choosing other lifestyles. But I don't have to love the sin. I love the sinner. I want them to come to Christ. But I hate the sin. We need to hate the things that God hates. Paul writes, cling to that which is good. Abhor what is evil. That's a strong word in the Greek. In other words, I hate it. Problem with, part of the problem with the church today is we're not clinging to the things that are good and abhorring the things that are evil, but that's God's standard. So the standard of sound words is very clear from the word of God. The problem is there are other agendas in our world driving people's thinking. We don't need to get the two confused. We, listen, we need to line up under the authority of God and his word. Can we agree on that? How important is it to hold on to these sound words? J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite author, he's, authors, he's got a great book on holiness. If you've never read the book, get it. Great book. It's just entitled Holiness. J.C. Ryle said, We should no more tolerate false doctrine than we should tolerate sin. How many of you would say that toleration of sin is in our world today? Yep, toleration of sin in the church today. How destructive is it, guys, when one preaches a message other than grace? How destructive is that? Can I give you an example? Recent example? A yesterday story. Talking to a young man. Lord gave me an opportunity to witness to this young man. He's young to me. <laughs> Might have been in his 30s, but he's young to me. And um, I asked him, 
a Tony Cooey question. I said, how are you doing spiritually? Tell me about your spiritual life. I think that's how I phrased it. He said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He said, man, I'm hoping I do enough good things. I hope I have enough good works. Oh, my, I, my heart was crushed. You ever been with somebody like that? And that's been their answer to you? I just looked at him and I said, how do you know when you've done enough? Good question? I think so. Because if you're dependent on the good works for righteousness, you kind of need to know when you've done enough. I looked at him and said, listen to me, i got great news for you. Salvation is not based on your righteousness. It's based on the righteousness of Christ. And you can have relationship with him. Guys, listen to me. And you know it to be true. There are a lot of people in our world today that are hoping one day they're going to stand before, as they put it, the man upstairs and hope that they've done enough. How sad is that? It's pitiful. I feel sorry for them. I stood there at the truck yesterday going, oh, my Lord, how blessed am I to know you. And the truth, the sound words. Well, let's move on. Verse 14, he tells him something else to do. So he says, hold on. It's an action thing. Hold on to the standard of sound words which you heard from me in the faith and love which are in Jesus Christ. In other words, he adds that last part and he says, look, this is not some cold religious activity. I mean, you're involved in this, the faith and the love which are in Christ. And we all experience that, hopefully, on a daily basis. But he comes to the second part of the instruction. And notice what he says in verse 14. He says to Timothy, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted. That word entrusted means to give over for safekeeping. It's like you handing somebody $20 and say, can you hold on to that? Right? And you're expecting them to do what? Hold on to it. So Paul tells Timothy, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now, if we're going to get in Timothy's sandals... And take this on as a personal project of our own. We have to understand what the word guard means. The word focuses on watching something closely. Right? Watching something closely. Um, I cited an example in first service about sometimes it's... it's um, uh, we have a, children in our home and they get to a point by, let's say, being 11, 12 years old. And we, they might have some younger siblings... And you as parents want to go get an ice cream. And you say to the oldest one, Hey, I need to, you to watch your brother and sister closely. How often does that happen? Well, some of them do it pretty well. But some of them don't do so well. And when you come back, instead of watching them closely, you get back and they've drawn on the walls and things are out of the refrigerator and the freezer and they're running like wild Indians around the house, making a mess. Well, the picture here that Paul gives Timothy is opposite of that. Uh, it's not this, this thing where he was just to look at it or pay attention to it every once in a while. He's telling Timothy, look, guard closely, watch it closely. Watch what? 
It's a good question. Watch what? Watch the treasure. That's the point. Look in verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure. What in the world is the treasure? Notice that he tells him in that communication of watching closely. He's saying do it now and don't delay. I forgot to mention that. That's a very important thing. He's not giving him an option. So he's saying guard the treasure. What's the treasure? The treasure. Um, He says guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. The word treasure or good deposit, some translations may have, referred to something given over to another for safekeeping. What's Paul giving to Timothy for safekeeping? Answer? The truth. The gospel. The word of God. I like what one theologian wrote. Paul is handing Timothy, he's handing over to Timothy to guard the riches of God's grace. Guard it. Guard grace. Listen, it's grace, for by grace are you saved. It's not grace plus anything else. It's not works. So guard, Timothy, the riches of God's grace. That's the treasure. For us practically, guys, I can throw it out to you like this. Guard this book. Guard it. Guard the gospel. Guard the truth. That's exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. Here's a question. How is he to do that? How's he going to guard the treasure? How's he going to guard the truth? Well, he's going to muster up the strength to do that, and he's just going to go, yep, I can do it. Is that what the Bible says? Do you know the Bible tells him how to do that? He says what? Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Who's the one that's going to help you guard the truth? The Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to help us guard the truth. Guys, we can't do it on our own. We have to depend on the Lord to guard the treasure. Guard the truth. By the way, if you're going to guard something, it's kind of important to know what's in it. Wouldn't you say? If we're going to guard the truth, we need to know the truth. So Paul's instruction is action. He tells him to hold on tight to sound words. Hold on tight to the standard of sound words. And then he tells him, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been given to you that has been entrusted to you. In fact, you know, it's not the first time that he tells him this. Back in chapter uh, 6 of 1 Timothy, listen to these words. Paul tells Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. You think that's important? Yes. Are you willing to take that on yourself? What part of this are you willing to do? You say, ah, that, I mean, that's, that's for pastors. That's your responsibility. You know, that's the elder's responsibility. Uh, I'd say that's all of our responsibility. Wouldn't you? Paul told Timothy to do it. What did Paul expect Timothy was going to tell the church of Ephesus? What was he going to preach from? The Word. The words of Paul and the Old Testament. So we have to be willing, guys, to say, hey, look, I'm in this game. I'm willing to be in this game. It's an important game to be in, to be engaged in. You know, one of the hardest things to do in baseball, and I think probably in basketball and football, those 
hockey, pick a sport. You have players in basketball, I'll use the basketball analogy. You have five players on the floor at one time. There can't be six. Did you know that? Five. But did you know on a bench, there are probably up to 12 players total. So there's five on the floor and seven on the bench. Where do the seven on the bench want to be? Answer, on the floor. They want to be participating. What's the thing that a good coach will tell those on the bench? Stay in the what? Game. Right? Baseball. Stay in the game. You can call, I can call your number at any time. In baseball, they have what are called um, pinch hitters at times. And a pinch hitter usually, typically, especially you get to college level, they're going to be pretty good hitters. And let's say that it's toward the end of a game and um, coach needs a hit, right, to score a run. And the guy going to the plate bats 230, but I got a guy pinch hitting that bats 430. What am I going to do? Hey, dude, get out of the circle. I'm putting the 430 guy in the game, right? Well, hopefully this guy sitting there knows, hey, potentially my number could be what? Called. Hey, guys, none of us in this room have been called to sit on the bench and disengage from what God has told us to do. You agree with that? I mean, the Lord didn't tell... Ten of his disciples to go make disciples, did he? Five of them, he told all of them. So when it comes to holding on to the word of God and guarding the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to be all in. Let me give you some examples here from the scriptures of those that didn't stay the course and then one that did. All right, look at this, verse 15. There were some that didn't stay the course. Some didn't, didn't do these things. Verse 15, Paul says, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia... Man, that's a pretty rough statement. All who are in Asia turned away. The word turned away means deserted. He says, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia deserted or turned away from me. Question. Does it say turned away from the Lord? Just a question. What does your text say? Turned away from who? You say it out loud. Say me. Me. The reason I want you to underscore that is because of what's being said here. It's pretty hard stuff. Paul's saying, look, all in Asia have turned away from me, have deserted me. It doesn't say they deserted the Lord. Now, the natural equation would be, oh, well, if they deserted Paul, they deserted the Lord. Well, it doesn't say that. And you have to consider the historical context. Was Paul staying at the Sheraton? Or were Christians being hunted down by Nero to be martyred? To be put in arenas and slaughtered? That's what was going on. So to be identified with Paul, big deal or no big deal? Big deal. Big deal. Life on the line. Well, some of them didn't stay the course. Some of them didn't do too well. In fact, he points out, too, do you know that these mentioned are only mentioned here? We don't know anything else about them. How would you like to have your name in the eternal word of God with this? But look what it says. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Ugh. So obviously, Paul knew him and Timothy knew him. Obviously, a big part here. And they turned away. 
turned away from Paul when Paul needed him. Did Paul need him? Answer, yes. But how many times in the Christian life has a believer needed other believers and some of just they just hadn't been there? Does that happen? Answer, yeah, it happens. So they turned away from Paul. They should have been seeking Paul out, apparently, because this next example that he cites, he gives us a person who sought him out. Look what he says. So you got some negative examples here in verse 15, but you have a positive example of of one who stayed the course. Look what it says, verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. What a name. If you're struggling for a name with your next child, Onesiphorus. How does that sound, right? You like that? Any of you? Onesiphorus? I could have a grandson. Onesiphorus. That'd be kind of cool. We could call him OB for short. Onesiphorus Blunt. That'd be awesome. OB. Hey, OB. Y'all like that? So he says, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. Hey, guys, you're looking at that refreshed me, and you got to be going, What does he mean by that? At least I did. What does he mean he refreshed me? Give him a piece of gum? What, what, what is he talking about? You know, you know what the word means? It's a picture in the Greek language of a cool breeze that's blowing. Ah, isn't that nice? You ever been like in your truck? I'm a man, so I get in a truck. But you ever been in your vehicle and you roll it down and like you just feel this cool breeze? I mean, hadn't the Lord been so good to us that it'd be a great spring? It's been an elongated spring, right? I was out yesterday, and my son and I, we were rolling down the windows, and we are like, talking about it last night. Man, this feels awesome. And on a really hot day, have you ever been outside, and you're mowing your grass, which you love to do, and you're weed-eating, and it's blazing hot? And, and any, have any of you ever looked up and gone, man, Lord, I sure could use a breeze right now? I have. I have to admit it. And every once in a while, the Lord is gracious to give you that breeze. That's exactly the picture here. Onesiphorus was a cool breeze for Paul. Pretty awesome picture to me. He was refreshing to Paul. And it says here, He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Uh-oh. That seems to be the theme, doesn't it? Of this section. He's connecting the dots for us. So Paul didn't want Timothy to be ashamed. Listen, and you're not writing an argument about the potential of being ashamed unless there's something to write about and be concerned about. So Paul was concerned because Timothy con- uh, was a timid kind of guy. So he says, he says here, he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Look at verse 17. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me. By the way, that, guys, that picture there of eagerly searching is searching to the point of exhaustion. I'm willing to go all in. He was all in. I got to find Paul. I got to find Paul. It's not giving up. That's the picture. Not giving up. So when he was in Rome, it says he eagerly searched for me and found me. Was Onesiphorus important in the life of Paul? Absolutely he was. Absolutely he was. He eagerly searched for him. There was great effort on his part. Notice verse 17, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. And then verse 18, the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, the day we referred to earlier, and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You know one of the things we're not told here. 
which is just kind of for your information, um, we're not told whether Onesiphorus was alive or dead when Paul wrote this. Don't know. Um, theologians kind of, you know, argue about it, and that's fine. They can argue about it, but I don't know whether he was alive or dead. But you know what Paul was considering about Onesiphorus? This man stayed the course. And when it comes to that day, Lord, have mercy on him because he eagerly sought for me and he was a breath of fresh air. He was a cool breeze when I needed it. Got to ask you a question, guys. Are you willing to put on the sandals and stay the course and be active in the Christian life or are you going to sit back in your recliner and watch other people do it? I say, get out of that recliner and be active as a believer and hold on tight to the truth and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, and when you stand before the Lord, you'll be able to look at him and say, I held on. I held on. I guarded the truth. Well, I want to give you a couple of things to think about because um, we need to think about them. I call them destructive beliefs, um, entitled them destructive beliefs because... What Paul's telling Timothy to do is hold on to the truth, hold on to the gospel, hold on to the treasure that you've been given. Um, there are destructive beliefs going on that potentially could be temptations for us not holding on or not watching like we should. Let me give you something to think about. The insufficiency of Scripture. You know, there are some people that don't believe this is enough. Did you know that? How many of you believe it's enough? I see your hands. This is it. Look, I like to read certain things. I like to read. I'm not much on fiction. I like to read history quite a bit. And I like to read commentaries that you guys might be bored with to death. But I just like reading theologians. I love that. I love J.C. Ryle. Um... Nothing wrong with books. I encourage you to read books. But this is the book we need to know the best. Can we agree on that? It's the book we need to know the best. And it is not insufficient in any way. It is sufficient. So if you have something going on in your life, you're like, I don't know how to deal with this. Get the book out. You say, I don't know where that occurs. Go find somebody who's wiser than you. Right? That's why in the Bible, imagine this, the older teach the younger. So go find somebody older in the faith and go, hey, I need some wisdom that comes from God. Give that as a qualifier. That comes from God. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to give it to you. They're going to be able to say, look, let me show you something in God's word that will help you. So we need to believe that the scriptures are sufficient. Being self-sufficient, that's a destructive belief today you know we need the lord not just some of the time we need the lord all the time but that's a big temptation big i think it's a huge destructive thing a lot of focus on self um evolution not creation it's creation not evolution but in our schools it's being taught not as what theory but fact we need to hold on to creation by the way, you teach that to your children when they're young, very young. 
Uh, it's not just grace, but it is just grace, right? We know that. It's not, we're not saved by faith plus works. It's just faith. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. Not of works, according to Paul, right? Lest any man should what? Boast. Legalism. Mm. I didn't talk about this one a whole lot in first service, but man, this one drives me out of my mind. You know why it drives me out of my mind? Does it drive you out of your mind? You know what drives me out of my mind? Because you know what I should be interested in? God's law, not man's. You say, yeah, but have you read so-and-so? I don't. I mean, I'm reading the book. The book tells me. Listen, I am saved by grace. I live by grace. Do I abuse grace? No. Paul handled that in Romans. I don't continue in sin. I submit myself not to... Not to a set of rules and regulations. I submit myself to the Holy Spirit of God on a daily basis who leads me in all truth. That's what we need to do. Prosperity theology. I wonder how that's working out these days. That's a destructive belief system. Health, wealth, and prosperity theology is destructive. By the way, there are built-in excuses for all that for them. I feel sorry for them. Man, I guess Paul didn't get the manual on health, wealth, and prosperity theology. Because he sure did suffer a lot. And he didn't have a lot, but he was thankful. I think I got a couple more. No, one more. No hell. That's a destructive belief. I said earlier, the Bible talks about hell more than it does heaven. Guys, listen to me. Every one of us in this room... When we close our eyes in death, we'll be in heaven or hell for eternity. And I know the temptation because I was young once. I'll deal with this whole salvation thing when I get older or I'm on my deathbed. Really? You know when that's going to be? There's only one knows your days, and it's not you and your mom and daddy. It's the Lord. So I better get it right now. Rob Bell was a big proponent of that. I feel sorry for the guy. All right, take homes, and then we're done. Hold on to the Word of God. I put there, don't compromise the truth in order to be accepted or liked. People do that. It's dangerous. By the way, once a person gets started down that road, you know what they do? Cover up. Cover up after cover up. after. It's a, it, it is an endless road. Watch closely the gospel and the word of God. There is one gospel, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it. I'm the way. What I, He said it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That good enough for you? Good enough for me. Last one. In humility, we need to pray for each other to stay the course. Stay the course. Hold on tight to the truth. Watch it closely. And pray for those holding on and for those struggling to stay the course. You know, sometimes people, when we see others struggling to stay the course, it happens the temptation is what? To look down on those people and say they need to get their act together. And I'm like, yeah, well, they do. 
But you know what we need to do? We need to be careful to come alongside of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are professing brothers and sisters in Christ. And if they're struggling on that road to stay the course, we need to encourage them. Can we agree on that? We need to encourage them. Do you know we have an example in the Bible? I didn't use this first service. We have an example in the Bible. Do you know in the first missionary journey in Acts, there was a man that quit. He did what? He quit. His name was John Mark. But did you know the Lord wasn't done with him? How many of you knew that? You know that? You know the end of that story? Right? You remember the second missionary journey? I mean, Paul takes Silas. Paul takes Silas. He doesn't, I'm not taking John Mark. He bailed out on me. Barnabas takes John Mark. You know what the end of that story is? Later on, Paul writes, Bring John Mark with you, for he is useful to me. Woo! Man, that fires me up. I'm like, hallelujah, because here's a guy named Barnabas who said, that man right there is worth investing in. Because you know what it's easy to do, guys? And you know it, and I know it's easy to quit. It's easy to say, "Ah, I'm done with this for a while. So we need to pray for those people who are struggling to stay on the course. All right. How many of you agree that section right there is pretty active for me and for you? It is. Let's take hold of it. Let's hold on tight. Let's hold on tight to the truth. Let's hold on tight. Let's watch closely the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in the end, the Lord himself may be glorified. All right. Well, this morning, we want to close in a word of prayer. And as we do, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and And you just pray, if you would, while you're sitting there, just silently to the Lord and just ask Him to help you to stay on the course. But I'm also going to ask you that, as we close, um, as I pray, that you would just pray right where you are for the Hanson family. You know, just silently before the Lord, just pray for them. And Phil and and the family need our prayers and encouragement. Um, There's going to be a service this evening from 4 or 6 o'clock here at the church. We're going to have visitation and 6 o'clock, immediately following the visitation, there'll be a service. And um, I'm thankful to be able to say that Jackie Hansen uh, was at home and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm thankful that she's with her Savior. And we want to remember the family uh, today and in the weeks ahead is, is that God would just be the, the God of all comfort that the Bible tells us that He is. So I'll just let you have a couple of minutes. And when I close in prayer... After I close in prayer, you'll be dismissed, all right? Lord, I pray that you would help us by your spirit to hold on tight to sound theology. Lord, as we know, sound theology produces sound living. Help us not to compromise the truth for any reason. 
Lord, we look at our world and there's a lot going on. and People are, are suffering in different ways. And I pray we'd come alongside of them and love and share the gospel of Christ. I pray you'd give us the courage to do that. Because the answer is not found in man's wisdom, but yours alone. And Lord, I, I want to pray that you would help us to, to guard the treasure of the gospel. What's been entrusted to many believers over the years. And some stayed the course and others had a difficult time, Lord. And Obviously, Phygelus and Hermogenes did. Apparently, they were pretty important. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have mentioned them. So the impact that that must have had on the church at Ephesus and other churches in the area. It was meant to encourage, really. Encourage people to stay the course, to fulfill the ministry. Every single believer in this room has a ministry for you. It starts with their family and it moves out to the body. I pray that we would do that well. Lord, I want to pray for the Hanson family. We first of all want to thank you for the life of Jackie Hanson. I thank you that her testimony was that she knew you. And we could see in her life that she lived for you. She wasn't out front. But she was really a silent servant. But one that was so faithful. Lord, I just pray for the family and that you would just, Lord, provide the comfort that they need during this time. They will miss her presence. And I pray that you could help them to move in their thinking to the fact that she's with you and to consider whether or not they will be with you. And for us in this room, Lord, help us to consider whether or not when we close our eyes at death, Will we be with you? Do we know that without a shadow of a doubt? You're so gracious, Lord. You're so merciful. You're a wonderful God. I thank you for the great salvation that I have. And I pray that each and every person in this room knows you as their Savior and is living for you as Lord of their life. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us, Lord, to take the challenge this morning to be actively involved as a believer to holding on to the truth and holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in the name of Christ that I pray all of these things and for his sake. Amen. You are dismissed, yes? Hey guys, um, real quick, if I can get some of you guys to help us, we need to set up about 50 chairs for the family.
some volunteers. I know some of you probably have to go, but the chairs need to be wiped down, and um, then we need to put them together. So if you could stay 10 minutes to help me do that, I'd really appreciate it. If you can't, have a great week, all right?